0: It's our privilege to make these messages available to you. We pray that the Word of God will richly bless you. So let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. You will turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 1. We'll begin there this morning. I know the last, from September through December... Seems like we couldn't get off the subject of faith. And this morning I still want to, I guess we could relate this to faith, but more to the Word of God, especially because the Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. Uh, we must, and I've said this for years and I've, I've proved it out in my own life, uh, we must understand that, uh, uh, that faith is a lifestyle as opposed to something that we keep in our hearts or our minds or our spirits or wherever you want to classify, classify you keep your faith at and just only bring it out in a time of need. You say, well, uh, uh, you know, sickness has tried to attack my body, so I need to, I need to, I need to use my faith. Or I have this financial situation. And, and years ago I found this out that our faith is not so much designed to recover us as it is for us to go in and possess what God has for us. And so many people limit their faith because that's the only way they use it is for recovery. Now, don't get me wrong. It works great. I mean, if, if the enemy attacks your body or if uh, uh, you, know, you have a financial uh, deficit, in your, uh, deficit in your finances and you need God to show up, I mean, faith works great like that. But I found in my life, now, Lee and I have found in our lives that when you press in and, and possess what God has for you, man, that's where it really works. So, so uh, you know, if you were going to determine uh, the two arenas in which faith works best, you could say this, number one, faith works best in righteousness. Everybody saying in righteousness. Uh, that means you're going to have to live right for faith to work. Not too many amens on that one, but you are. You're going to have to live right. You can't live like the devil and expect faith to work in your life. I've seen people that do that. They, you know, they they, they keep all kinds of things that are not right in their life, and they think, well, why is my why my faith in working? Well, there's a block there. There's a there's a you know the, uh, the the iniquity is out of you. But if you're still maintaining sin in your mind and your flesh, then that'll block your faith, keep your faith from working. Amen. Uh, and secondly. It works in pressing into that which God has for us corporally as a church, and for you as an individual. God has stuff for you as an individual that He wants you to possess. Yeah. Let me say that again: God has stuff. Now, when I say stuff, I mean in the material realm. Your bank account blessed, a nice home to live in, a nice car uh, to drive, nice uh, 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 clothes to wear—all the material things. Says in, in Matthew chapter six, it says, "Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added." Well, how are they going to get added? Well, by your faith, they're added. By your faith, they're added. Amen? And so there are a couple of principles we're going to look at this morning uh, that has to do with increasing and maintaining your lifestyle of faith. And, 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 the, and one of those is, is keeping your zeal, keeping your joy. You know, I was meditating on this this morning. I was getting ready for this. And I was thinking about the first few weeks of, of Bible school that I was in Bible school back in 1984 and how thrilled I was with the Word. I'd been away from the Word for over 10 years. i had not been taught the Word, not sat under the Word. But I, here I was in this Bible school setting, five hours a day, five days a week. That's 25 hours a week. And then not only that, you throw in a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. There's three more hours, amen. And I was, just so, I was just soaking it up. I was so thrilled. Did you know that has not changed in my life? I can't look back there and say oh I was much more thrilled than I am now I'm actually more thrilled now with the word of God in my life my approach to it my study of it my exploration of it it's examination of me every aspect and part of the word of God thrills me more now than even more listen if you can look back at a time in your life when you were more thrilled with the word of God than now you're backslid. you're away from God you say wow man I remember back in the 80s I was on fire for God we'll get on fire again Get stirred up again. And you know, you're the one responsible for keeping yourself stirred up. A lot of people lose their fire because they they don't keep their fire stoked. It's kind of like a fire out in the natural. You go build a fire in your fireplace or a fire, you know, out in a fire pit somewhere and you quit putting fuel on it, it'll go out. You've got to keep putting fuel on the fire. Amen. And the problem is a lot of times, uh, a lot of people fuel their fire with their need. But you have to fuel your fire with a desire for God. I said, you have to fuel your fire with a desire for God. If you fuel your fire with a desire for God, it'll never go out. You just fuel it with a need. Then once the needs met, you're not going to put any more. You're not going to put any more on that fire. You're just going to let it go out, burn out. You're going to get cold. You're going to get indifferent. And when people get cold and indifferent, then they get real irritated. Everybody say irritated. I've watched people for years get real irritated. I've always noted irritated people many times are estranged from the Word and prayer. They're not praying, they're not studying the Word, and that's why they're irritated. Because when you study and pray, you study, you got a continual diet of the Word of God, and you're continually submitting yourself to prayer. You're not so apt to be unsubmissive. You said, what do you mean by that? You're much more apt to be submissive to the things of God, to the Word of God, to what He speaks to you in that still small voice in your, in your, in your uh, inner man. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, the deceitfulness of sin will harden you. Now, that's not talking about bank robbery or, 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 or you know, selling drugs. If you're doing that, you're already hardened, amen? This is actually talking about the sin of unbelief. How the sin of unbelief will harden your heart. Well, thank God for the Holy Ghost and thank God for the illustrations in the Word of God. The potter and the clay, any time the potter would have a vessel that would harden with a flaw in it, he would break it up and soak it in water. Water being a type of the Word. Sometimes our lives get a little broke up, but that's because God wants to soak it in some water of the Word so that He can put us back together and make us pliable again in His hands. Amen? Now, in Psalms chapter 1, Let's look here for just a moment We may go over to the book of Joshua We may go over to uh, Got another psalm I want to show you But in Psalms chapter 1 it says Blessed is the man that walketh not In the counsel of the ungodly Nor standeth in the way of sinners Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful But his delight His joy His passion I I looked at all kinds of different uh, uh, translations His delight His joy His passion His enduring desire Amen? Is in the law of the Lord. Well, we wouldn't say the law of the Lord right now. We'd say the Bible, the Word of God. Now, you've got to ask yourself, is your delight in the Word? Now, now when I say that, we can put all kinds of things in the delight list. Amen? I know uh, 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 some people like to eat. Some people like to sleep. You know, Some people like to go to the baseball game. Some people like to go to the football game. Some people like to go hunting. Some people like to go fishing. Some people like to go serve. There's all kinds of things we can put in the delight list. Amen. If you're married, you ought to delight in your marriage. You ought to delight in your husband or delight in your wife. Well, thank God for the marriage cup, marriage cups. They're they're delighting, aren't they? Amen. But on the top, the very top of that, ought to be delighting in the Lord. Your joy, your passion, your, your, your motivation, your zeal, your fire. You ought to delight in the Lord. The Bible says there in the same uh, uh, book, the book of Psalms chapter 36, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now that's one of the, that's one of the things that, that faith will do is faith will bring into the existence your desires. Just because you get a desire from God doesn't mean you're going to get it. You delight yourself in the Lord. You start studying the Word. You start praying. You start worshiping God. You start coming to church. You start doing all you know to serve God. And all of a sudden, this desire starts rising up in you. This desire starts coming up. You can always tell it's God because it's persistent. If it's your mind or your flesh, (laughs) one of my old mentors, Papa Effie Ward, he used to say this. He said a bean dream would go away in 30 days. Let me know what a bean dream is. It's something you got from Taco Bell. Amen. Thought it was God. Say, I thought that was God. No. He said, that'll go away in 30 days. It'll be gone in 30 days. It won't even be there anymore. But he says, what is of God will stay persistently in your heart. It'll rise up in your mind. It'll be in your spirit. It'll go back and forth. God will continue to press or impress you with that desire. And you know, that desire is of God. That desire is of God. That desire is of God. Well, then you're going to have to do something about that desire. You're going to have to frame it with the Word. You're going to have to confess it. You're going to have to act upon your faith. And you're going to have to see it come to pass. And that that should be the lifestyle we all live every day. Every day. Say, well, I've got everything I need and all the money I want. and I'm healthy. Well, then give some to us. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate day and night. Now, let me read those two verses in the Amplified. I love it. Blessed happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable. Does anybody envy you? Come on, let's just be real honest. Does anybody really envy you? I know what that's like. Last week I was at a beautiful South Texas ranch and I shot this beautiful deer. And they brought that deer uh, first out in the field. They They sent a professional photographer out in the field just to take pictures of it out in the field. Then we rolled up to the camp, and there was a lot of the vendors that worked for different companies there. And I'm telling you, there was envy. But not in me. I had the desire of my heart. Amen? And everybody says the same thing. When I send them a picture or something from the, from the guy that owns the ranch, they say the same thing. Man, they call me Reverend. Reverend Martin, God blessed you with a beautiful deer. Amen. Come on, church. There ought to be at least a couple of areas of your life that people look at your life and say, I want what they have. I want what they have. Prosperous. Somebody say prosperous. Enviable is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly. There is so much ungodly counsel in the world. You've got 200 channels of it at your house in what the old Pentecostals used to call the one-eyed monster. Amen. That's your television set. That's what the old Pentecostals used to call the one-eyed monster. Listen, there's ungodly counsel. You can always tell ungodly counsel. You say, it's ungodly. Anything that counsels you away from God, anything that counsels you to be cold and indifferent, Anything that counsels you to be divisive, anything that counsels you to be unsubmitted, anything that counsels you away from the precepts and principles of faith and God and walking in love and prayer and benevolence and all the good things of God, generosity, all of that kind of stuff is the counsel of the ungodly. And the problem is too many people, too many Christians listen to it and too many churches preach it. There's churches today, you can go sit in their pulpit, and they, they, they have ungodly counsel in their church. You say, what do you mean by that? They, they talk about God not healing, God not doing this, God not doing that, what He's told us He'd do in the Word, and then they talk about, well, God did this to you, and God did that to you, and God did this. That causes unbelief. That's ungodly counsel. Amen? So don't listen to ungodly. Close your ears. Somebody say, close your ears. Is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly, following their advice, their plans, and purposes, nor stands submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk. Amen? That means we ought to stand for righteousness. I'm telling you, this world is screaming right now. There is an unrighteous voice that is rising up louder than it's ever been because their unrighteousness has been threatened. Nah, that's not a political statement. That's just the way it is. Their unrighteousness has been threatened and because... Why do you think they were marching in the streets? They weren't marching for something. They were marching against something. Amen? I mean, when you find people that will march and fight for murder... Well, we won't go there. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But we ought to stand for unrighteous. Don't get intimidated by somebody that says, well, what do you think about that? You ought to say, I agree with the Word of God. I believe, I believe that life is sacred. I believe we ought, to, we ought to let these babies be born and then deal with the, with the, uh, with the iniquity of our society. I, 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 believe, I believe that marriage should be between one man and one woman. I'm going well, if I say that, they'll fire me at my job. Well, then just stand there when somebody asks you something. Just say, I love the Lord. I believe the Word. You want me to show you what the Word says? And if, they, if they're that bold, then show them what the Word says. Say, well, here's what the Word says. Here's what the Word says. But there is a great scream uh, of the cry of the sinner and the ungodly right now. And let me just help you. It's not going to get quieter. It's going to get louder and louder and louder because people want the right to follow their iniquity, to sin. Listen, Israel was surrounded by that. Not only was it around them, it was in them. He said, what do you mean it was in them? God gave them the law not to get them closer to God, but to regulate their behavior so they would not be estranged from God so He could protect them and keep them till the Messiah came and destroyed that iniquity in mankind. Amen. And man, every time Israel would serve God, God would bless them. God would defeat their enemies. God would bless them financially. God would give them favor. And man, as soon as they got into sin, it's not that God... Judge them and, 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 and did something He just had to step back He just had to pull back his grace Pull back his mercy Pull back his favor And just like with us When we get out of, out of sorts with God He just steps back He pulls back his grace He pulls back his mercy He pulls back his favor And we wonder Why am I, why am I in such a mess? Well it's not God's fault How did we get off on that? That's good anyway following their advice, their plans, and their purpose, nor stand submissive and inactive in the past where sinners walks, nor sits down to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. Now, I'm going to tell you what. You can't hardly listen to the news anymore for the mockers and the scornful. Amen. You know, basically, when I grew up as a kid, you know, There were three channels. There was Channel Two, Channel Eleven, Channel Thirteen. What was NBC, ABC, CBS, and they had their you know their news commentators, their all this kind of stuff. And really, there was they just told you the news until 1968. The spring of 1968, a news reporter named Walter Cronkite came back from Vietnam. He had observed the Tet Offensive in Vietnam. And when he observed that, he came home and took journalism from reporting the news to a political statement. And he took the wind out of the military when he did it. It was wrong for that man to get up and say, it's an unwinnable war. It was wrong for him to get up and say, because not one of those battles during Tet did any of our enemies win. Not one of them. It was just totally a political knee-jerk reaction to the political climate of the day, and this entire nation fell for it. That's why you got to be so careful. What we, what one of the, I think one of our classes here, in this setting, was be careful not only what you hear, but how you hear it. Amen? But now, let's get over on the good news side of it. It says, but His delight and desire are in the law of the Lord. I would say it like this. His delight and desire is in the Word of God, and on His are in the Word the precepts and instructions and teachings of God. Now listen to this. He habitually meditates, ponders, and studies day and night. Say, so when should I meditate on the Word of God? Uh, well, look out the window, and if it's light... Meditate on the Word And then look out the window again And if it's dark, meditate on the Word Now, the reason I chose the the subject of meditation uh, To begin, kind of kick off the the spring uh, Prayer, Faith and Healing series is Is I can teach you all the other precepts and principles of faith How How to confess the Word, how to act on the Word How to hear all these different things but if you do not develop a heart to meditate upon the Word, you will never be sure whether you have any faith or not. There will always be a question in you. Well, did I just memorize that scripture? Am I just going around saying something that I really don't believe? But meditation upon the Word of God, which is a soulish effort. Now, let me say that again. Meditation upon the Word of God, it takes it takes. Uh, your, your, your your eyes, it takes your mouth, because actually one translation of the word meditation means to mutter, to say it under your breath, to say it over and over, to consider and to say, to consider and to say, to consider and to say, over and over on a repeti- in, in a repetitious way. So in doing that, what you're doing is you're allowing a transfer of that word that is that is in your mind because you're looking at it, with your eyes, it's coming in through the information gates. So anything that comes in through your information gates, the first place it stops is where? In your mind. So you're taking that word, that... Pre- I've always used Philippians 4.19 because it's a, it's a verse a lot of people know. It's a, it's, it's a verse that's easy to meditate upon. But my God shall supply all of my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, the first time I ever saw that, I saw it in Philippians 4.19. I really never... How can I say this? I really never set out to memorize it. Now, in my Bible school studies, in a Bible school s- setting, one of the uh, 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 classes that I was in, Rachel Birchfield taught this class, on, on, uh, on the book of Proverbs, we were required to memorize one of the books of, the, uh, of Proverbs and give it back to her on a test. I chose Proverbs chapter 2. Now, I continually try to, to say that proverb from memory. I can't do it. I can't do it. I, my memory, I don't know why, my memory just does not fun. But now if I meditate upon a scripture to the point that it makes the journey from my mind into my heart, then I guarantee you I'll never lose that. And the first time I saw Philippians 4.19, Brother Osteen was taking an offering. He showed how how how, how the, the the church at Philippi had had blessed him, and, and he talked about uh, the giving they had been doing, and because of that, a promise, a revelation of a promise from God was released. For you that give, for you that support the ministry, for you that have taken care of me, you sent three times to me in my affliction, "My God will supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus." Now. When you begin to dissect that through meditation, the first two words, my God, which means there is a God and you can call him my God. Oh, I tell you, you ought to get ex- I, I When you meditate upon the word of God, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, there's foods that I didn't like when I was a kid. And my mom used to try to make me eat them. And, and I, don't, I, I guess I was just full of stubborn rebellion. And so she'd spank me and set me at the... I, many nights I sat at the table. You can ask my brother. Many nights I sat at the table from dinner time till, till 9.30, time to go to bed. And probably got three whippings in those, in those particular times. There were just things I wasn't going to do, it, you know. <laughs> I just wasn't going to do it. But the point, the point I was trying to make is this, is that... the the tenacity in many of your lives that gives you the boldness to do, turn that to the Word. Turn that over to the Word. Make a decision. I'm not going to give up on this thing till I get it. And so you begin to meditate on a simple script. And every, it's every, uh, oh, that's the point I wanted to make with the the, the food. The food that I didn't like, I'd put it in my mouth and try to eat it. And every bite, it got bigger. Everybody, it just, you know, I'd spit it out and, you know, I'd get another. And I, I had a Pentecostal mother, Pentecostal mom. You know, most moms would just spank their kids till they, till, you know, till. But my, my, my mom would spank me till I was happy. You mean spank you till you were happy? Yeah, I was so happy she quit. I loved everybody. But I still didn't eat the food. Amen. Meditating on the Word makes the word so much bigger makes god so you just start take two words my god my god he's my god he's my own heavenly father he's my own righteous heavenly father he loves me he cares for me he gave me salvation you just start thinking about your god and you just got you it just overwhelm you and you just kind of think about it, mutter it, think about it. Damn, oh my God, my God, my God. Not using it as a slang word. That's the way only, many people, that's the only way they use my God is this: My God. No, no. You think about it. my God. Personally, he's my God. I have a personal relationship with, uh, with God through Jesus. He's my God. I claim him. He's mine. He's mine. I'm his. He's mine. See, it just starts getting bigger. My God, in the very next word, you can stop there for a day. Shall. That means my God is a willing God. My God is a willing God. He shall. That does. You know. I don't know about other gods because I've never served another God. But I, I, I really don't see a lot of willingness in Buddha, nor Mohammed, or Confucius. Amen. Or, or uh, uh, who's the Christian Science guy? Uh, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> because they kind of made him into a God, amen? No, I don't see much willingness in him. They're all human. But you have a, my God, that shall. He shall. What does that mean? He's active. He's not inactive. He has ability. I like to say it like this. He has eyes that can see me. He has ears that can hear me. He has hands that can reach out to me. He he has feet that can run to me. He he, he, He shall. He's a willing and able God. He's a willing and able God. My God shall. Then the next word, you can just have camp meeting on the next word, supply. My God has a supply. Woo, man. I've got a whole catalog of supply right here that God has for me. For sickness, he has health. For poverty, he has wealth. There's all kinds of stuff in the word that are mine because my God has a supply. And it's not an inadequate supply. Then many times I can flip you flip you over to a to another scripture like in 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 Ephesians chapter three where it says uh, that, that He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all. You can have, all right, listen. the the heaven the the bank of heaven didn't bankrupt. He hadn't run out of healing. A uh, several several couple of people that I had uh, uh, real real confidence in their heaven experiences. There's been a few that I thought, oh, you 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 know, you know. I mean it sounds pretty weird but but two 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 for sure two different ones for sure i heard them say this that they saw storage places in heaven with arms and legs and hearts and lungs and 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 all kinds of human parts just sitting in pristine condition in these in these storage places, and they would ask either an angel, one particular guy, Abraham was showing. They said, "What is this? What is that?" I say, "These are parts for people. It belongs to people on earth. If they'll believe me, they'll get them. If they'll believe me, they'll get them." Well, we've known people over the years that have received creative miracles. But one individual we know got a brand new heart. Another individual we know had three fingers cut off, and God put those fingers back. I think the Savels, Jerry and Carolyn Savell, one of their daughters cut their fingers off, and God put those fingers back. Listen, there's been many creative miracles down through the years, but I don't think we've seen the half of it yet. Our God has a supply. He's got a financial supply. He's got a physical supply. He's got a supply for your marriage. He's got a supply for your family. You just have to know about the supply and how to get it. My God shall supply all. Well, all what? All of my needs. Anybody have any needs? See, I think what we try to do a lot of times, the, 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 the people or the person that overcomplicates faith is the devil. I just listened to, a, on, on the way up here, one of the uh, messages of Brother Osteen's teaching. And he, it was, man, it was way back when Lakewood Church first got out of the feed store and just got into that new building. And he was teaching on the simplicity of serving God as opposed to the complication of not serving God. And I think many times we forget about how complicated life was before we got saved. Now you think about that just for a moment. You think about your life before you got saved and what kind of wreck it was in what kind of mess it was in, what kind of, how, you know, you had this relationship over here, you had this going on over here, you had that going on, you had all. And and, and Pastor Osteen was trying to make the point of living for God is easy and simple, and it brings great blessing to your life. Of course, he was using all kinds of Scripture and everything, but the point he was trying to make was life outside of Christianity is hard. You talk about a hard life. You go out here and start talking to some of these people. Talk to them about what's going on in their life. Talk to them about what's happening. I've done it before. And it's it's, it's tremendous to hear them talk about their problems because their problems are so entrenched in them because they have no hope. They have no hope. Most of them, the only thing they think about God is, that's the reason I have these problems. That's the reason I've got these problems. God's doing this to me. God's trying to get my... No, God's not doing that to people. My God shall supply what? All your need. Every need You come up with a need God's got a supply You've got a need God has a supply You've just got to make a decision To meditate upon the word of God To get that word so ingrained into you That you can't tell the difference Between your thoughts and God's thoughts You don't entertain thoughts of doubt and unbelief Because you've been meditating on the word You don't, under, you don't under, uh, entertain thoughts of poverty and lack because you're meditating upon the word. You don't, under, you don't entertain thoughts of, of sickness and disease. Because you're meditating upon the word on a continual basis. This is one of the one of what I call one of the great lost arts of the Christian church is meditation upon the word. Something I've been practicing more and more. Used to practice a lot, then, then, then kind of it waned down and I'd do it just a little bit. But the past couple of years, I've been meditating more and more upon the goodness of work, God's Word. So we're just one scripture. My God shall supply all of my need. All my need. According to. So here's how he's going to do it. Is it going to be according to the economy of Texas? According to the ability of your employer uh, to give you a raise or more hours or more overtime? According to your ability to do what you need to do uh, to provide income for you? No, he's going to do it according to his riches. Now, you think about that for a moment. Now, don't get me wrong. You can't just sit around. And I know uh, Brother Osteen's uh, uh, message that I was listening to, this this happened way back in the mid-70s. So he brought up the subject, because obviously this was going on at Lakewood at the time, of people who sit around and do nothing and say, hey, I'm living by faith. Well, how are you going to pay your bills? I'm living by faith. My God shall supply all of my need according to your... No, you're messed up. <laughs> we, had a, we had an acquaintance of our family that got a little bit of faith teaching. And uh, he had a bunch of bills. So he just went and wrote checks and cleared all those bills. But the problem was he didn't have the money in the bank. Well, you know where he ended up? He ended up in jail. Because you can't do that. That's illegal. But he thought for sure, God will honor my faith. I'll just write out these checks, and I'll just put them in the mail, and by the time they get there, I'll have the money in the bank. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. You say, why? Because you got to get busy. God doesn't bless laziness. Let me try that again. God doesn't bless laziness. I mean, if I had to, you know, I'd get out and, pick, what, everyone, what are these cans worth now, a nickel? I'd go out and pick up cans just to have money put in the offering. Because you're not going to get a bunch of money to be able to invest in Wall Street because you don't, you can't get that much picking up cans. But I guarantee you, you, you do something. You do something to get some money and get it into the kingdom and get it into God's hand. God will bless you. My God shall supply all of our need according to His riches. The Bible says that the cattle on a thousand hills are His. All of the gold, all of the silver. He's the one that created that. And not only that, he has a plan of getting it into your hands. You know, that, 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 that's where so many people get so frustrated. is because they say, okay, God, I'm going to go do this, and I want you to bless it. And God goes, I ain't blessing that. He said, so, I'm going to go do this, and I'll bless it, and, and you bless it. And God said, I'm going to go bless that. He said, so, I'm going to go do this, and you bless it. Lord. It don't take about two or three of those. You'll walk away from God. So instead of doing that, why don't you go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And just listen for him to speak. He may tell you something crazy, wake wild, like go get a job. <laughs> but anything that'll put seed in your hand will get you in, will get you, how can how can you say? Will get you vested into the kingdom. Where God can begin to bless and supply all of your need according to his riches. And I like this in glory. Riches that means he has control over his riches. That means it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's a a a, a recession or a depression. I, I remember listening to Brewster, uh, uh, several of those old preachers uh, came up in the depression. When was it? 1929 when the stock market fell. Uh, actually, about till World War II started because World War II basically ended what they called the Great Depression. And, and I heard about Brother Hagen talk about, you know, how, how uh, uh, little they had, his family had. Heard Brother Osteen talk about standing in line for, uh, uh, what was that stuff called? Uh, Blue John, which was a type of milk that they had taken the cream out of. And he says it was just like white water. So they have to stand in line. They'd give it to the poor people. He said our family would stand in line and get that. He said, and then I'd listen to those guys talk about it. Then I heard Brother Lester Summerall talk about it. Now, Dr. Summerall, during the Depression, uh, when the Depression began, I think he was 17 or 18 years old, and so he was you know, a little older when it ended. But he said this. He said, during the Depression, I bought two new cars. He said, during the Depression, I bought a new suit of clothes just about every month. He said, during the Depression, I traveled all over the world. He said, "During the depression, I gave hundreds and even thousands of dollars to missions outreaches all over the world." You know what he was saying? He said, "The depression got into a lot of people; didn't get into me. I didn't participate with it because my God supplies all of His need, all of my need, according to His riches in glory, according to His riches in glory." I means recessions, governments, downturns, currencies not being worth anything. Gold going down to nothing. Oil going down. None of it means anything to God. Because he has riches in glory. I was meditating on this. I thought, uh, and I've done it before, but every time I do it, it just. You think about two million people coming out of Egypt into the wilderness. The wilderness. The wilderness. There's no clinics. There's no doctors. There's no grocery stores. There wasn't even any water. You talk about nothing. What does the scripture say? Can God make a way in the wilderness? Yes, He did for 40 something years. Not only that, their their clothes did not wear out, their shoes did not wear out. He brought them all out of Egypt healthy and healed, and the only time sickness and disease came on them is when they got into sin. And then God would do something about it and get them all healed again. And do it year after year after year after year till He let them finally go in and possess the promised land. God can take care of you. God can take care of you. But the problem is so many people want the wilderness. When God's got a promised land for you. He's got a place that flows with milk and honey, but you got to go in and possess it. That's what faith does. It goes in and possesses the promise. Amen. So, my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory. See, we're just kind of outwardly meditating on a scripture. Philippians 4.19. Now, I like the last part because this is how it works. My God shall supply... All of your need according to his riches and glory. How? Now, when you begin to think about that and meditate upon that, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory, and he's going to do it by his son, my Savior, by the author and finisher of my faith by the alpha the omega the beginning the end the first the last come on church so it shows us that the object of our faith as stated in Hebrews chapter 12 he's the what the author the finisher of our faith that means every need supplied in your life should focus you greater upon Jesus because he is what he is the author the finisher of your faith he's the one that empowers you to believe it or gives you the desire in the first place, then he is the one that brings it into existence. Amen? Now, when you begin to meditate upon that, he's going to do it by, by his son Jesus. Jesus does not become the primary actor in meeting your needs. He becomes the conduit In which that need flows through The the answer flows through So that you can enjoy the benefit of it Down here on the earth That means you're going to have to be active Your needs being met Are not dependent upon God meeting them It's on you doing something about them I think that's where we've lost We say well God And I've heard people say that. Well if God wants me to have it He'll just have to give it to me I heard somebody talking like that one time That was trying to get the baptism in the Holy Ghost and they would not yield themselves to the Spirit of God. Actually, I heard him make this statement. If God wants me to speak in tongues, then He'll just have to do it. Well, that's not how it works. Everybody that's baptized in the Holy Ghost knows that. Well, if God... That, listen, in order to be filled with the Holy Ghost, the only thing supplied by God is an utterance. And it just kind of rises up in your spirit. And you grab a hold of it with your vocal cords. You grab a hold of it with your breath. And then you, then you by faith, just speak it out. And it may sound strange. It may sound foolish. It may sound weird. It may sound, But the more you allow it to flow, the more it becomes a river. What, what, what starts as a trickle can turn into a torrent. But see, the, the, the majority of the activity is on you. And it's the same way with with Faith. The majority of the activity, we could actually say it like this. It's our obedience. What's it say in Isaiah chapter 1? If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the fat of the lamb. God is just looking for obedience in us. And he wants us to what? Meditate upon his word. Now, real quick, I've got about five minutes or maybe ten. Let me go to Psalms. Man, I hope I, I'm going to do my best. If not, we'll pick it up here next week. It's a Psalm of Asaph. Many of these psalms you study, it's good to go back and look at the historical setting of them so that, so that you understand why they're saying what they're saying or, or, or kind of how God is addressing the, uh, the current situation. Now, this psalm of Asaph here literally is, uh, is addressing a situation after that Israel had gotten into some trouble. They'd gotten into some trouble. Anybody ever gotten in trouble in here? Now, I don't want to read the whole thing Where can I start Lord Let's start at verse 10 And I said uh, Excuse me Psalm 77 Psalm 77 Verse 10 And I said This is my infirmity Or my weakness But I will remember the years Of the right hand Of the most high Now notice that statement But I will remember the years Of the right hand Of the most high Now He's actually saying this I'm going to go back and think of a time in which everything was good. When God was doing great things. When there was an outpouring. When there are manifestations of wonderful. I'm going to go. So he's obviously in a place where that's not going on right now. Amen. Uh, Verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also upon thy works and talk of thy doings. Now, notice that. I will meditate also upon thy works and talk of thy doings. I, I think a lot of people sometimes get a little frustrated when we begin to share personal testimonies, testimonies that we've heard other people uh, other people give, testimonies of things that happened maybe back in the voice of healing or happened in, in, in 1907 in the great outpouring of the Holy Ghost at Azusa Street. Listen. It is not wrong to continually testify of the works of God. And it is not wrong to meditate upon the things that God has done in your life when He has produced provision and blessing. It is good to dwell on them. Now think about that for a minute. He say, what do you mean? Think about how twisted your mind gets when you start thinking about what you don't have, what you can't do. Say, so, well, you know, if I, if I had this or I had that. And, and I'm going to tell you something, man. You've got, to, you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to learn. We go right back to the, to the teaching on what you hear and how you hear it. Because I was a part of many of camp meeting where, where many of the preachers that I'd go to their churches told me, I, I, I left more discouraged than I came there. It all these big preachers got to talked about their jet and their watch and their house and their, and their organization. They paid everything by cash and this and that and all this kind of stuff. And, and, man, I'm just trying to pay the light bill. Amen. I mean, it's easy, you know, when you're at the top of the mountain uh, to talk about being at the top, uh, but I think it's better to talk about the climb that got you there. Amen. And, and, and so, you know, I never fell into that trap because I was around them. And I had, I had a lot of opportunity. Man, I had opportunity at camp meetings that I would preach at and do like two and three meetings, and the, and the pastor would give me my check, and it'd be for $1,000. Then he'd brag about how he gave one speaker the night before, you know, $50,000, and I'd think. But I never let it move me. Everybody say, these things don't move me. I never let it move me. Every one of those things was a trap. That's what they were. Those were traps. They're wiles of the devil. You've got to get your eyes off what you don't have and what you can't do and get your eyes on what you do have and what you can do and you've got to begin to rehearse the victories of God. There was a time, I believe it's over in Exodus 17, Moses sat down with with, with Joshua and God spoke to Moses and said, Now, you rehearse in the ears of Joshua the victories. And he talked about two different battles they fought where, where, where Joshua went out with the sword and fought like the dickens. And Moses just went and sat on a stone. And Aaron and Her would lift his hands up. You say, what was he doing? He was preparing Joshua to become the leader of that nation, not by talking about what they couldn't do, but by talking about what they could do if we worked together. Amen. Amen. And a lot of times people get in a situation. I get in ministry situations. I get in uh, business situations. They, and, I, and I just look, uh, and we just don't have this, and we can't do that, and we, and we don't have this, and we can't do that, and we don't have this, and all that does is, Man, that's just going to discourage you and bring you down. Because to meditate upon that is to sin. That's called worry. And I, every one of us know how to worry. Amen. And so we worry and we, and we worry, and, we, and what do we do We turn it over and we turn it over and we turn it over and we, we, we meditate upon it, we turn it over, and we mutter, I, tell you, I can't pay my bills, and, and man, I don't know, man, I, my back's been hurting. And you kind of grumble, you kind of complain. You, uh, the Bible calls it murmuring. Amen. You say things under your breath all the time. Somebody say, What'd you say? I didn't say nothing to you, you know. You lose your joy. You lose your zeal. You're not the guy that we're talking about in Psalms chapter 1 whose delight is in the law of the Lord in whom he meditates day and night. Boy, you go on and read the rest of that. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His, his leaf does not fade. Uh, he bears fruit in his season and all he puts his hand to prospers. Amen. Everything he puts his hand to prospers. But see, a lot of people, listen, you say, you say, well, you just got it so good. Everyone goes through crisis. In crisis, when the attack is on, when the, when, the, when, the, when the battle is hot, that's when you have to meditate on the Word and meditate on victory. On every good testimony you've ever heard on every good testimony out of everyone. That's why I love reading the books that I read by, by, by Catherine Kuhlman and, and Smith Wigglesworth that talks about all these miracles. I love to keep that. I like to think about that. I like to meditate upon that. Because if you don't have that image in you, how can you ever expect anything like that to happen? Amen? So that's what God wants you to do is to meditate. I say meditate. Now, this is one of the most important principles of your faith because if you can begin a life of meditation you'll figure out the faith thing. You'll you'll, you'll say the right thing. You'll know when God speaks to you to act on on your faith so that that faith can be released. And not only that, you're just going to come out of a lot of stuff that many times we stay in because we refuse to come out because we're meditating on the wrong things. We're worrying instead of meditating. But many of you today, if you're just on your way home, everyone in here, you've had prayer answered. Come on, church. And if you've not had a prayer answered, all you've got to do is come around here and you'll hear about prayers being answered. Everyone around, every one of us in here have a reason to be encouraged, to encourage ourselves in the Lord and to encourage others that may be going through something. And if we will do that and then be like it says in Psalms chapter 1, zealous for the Word, that our delight is in the law of the Lord, that we delight in the Word of God, Amen? I've seen this for years, and it's just, I guess we're just gullible and subject to it. But I've seen the destruction that it's brought. You know, we love when the Holy Ghost gets to moving. Right before the the, uh, uh, first of the year, we had a service on a Sunday morning when the glory of God just came in here, just strong as it could be. Now, I've seen churches that have had that, and the power of God would manifest, the pastor never preached on Sunday morning. Everybody just, you know, they ministered to people. And so they'd do that the next service, the next service, the next service, the next service. They'd go a month. They'd go six weeks. And after a month or six weeks, they'd look out and say, I wonder why the church is dead. Because churches thrive on the Word of God. If you notice, no, no matter what goes on, even if I only take 10 or 15 minutes, we always teach the Word. Teach the Word. Teach the Word. Teach the word, because there is an element to the word of God that encourages the heart, strengthens the soul, puts a resolve in the spirit, and causes people to be expectant. And without that, no matter what kind of manifestations you're having, I've seen revivals where all it was was manifestations and no teaching, and they did not last very long. Or the result of the revival, where the Holy Ghost started it, the devil took it over, and it went into all kind of crazy stuff. But you must delight. Now, my time's up. Number one, delight in your personal study, reading, and meditation of the Word. Read the Bible. Read the Bible every day. Read the Bible. Read Scripture. Right now I'm studying in the book of Acts. I'm using the Message Bible and studying the book of Acts. Read every day. Read Scriptures every day. Then, then listen, meditation doesn't take, if you try So, I'm going to go meditate on the book of John. That's like saying, I'm going to go eat all of God's menu. Uh, I want pull up the I want everything on the menu. I say, you sure? Bring me everything. You're not you can't eat that much. Amen. Meditation is equal to digestion. Meditation is equal to digestion. You say, what do you mean by that? You can eat all the food in the world, but if you don't digest it, it's not going to do you any good. Now I heard this. I heard this. It, it, It 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 I heard it actually on a health program on the radio. And they were asking this nutritionist, what is the number one reason for obesity in America? And, of course, you'd think, well, everybody's eating at McDonald's. You know what he said? Blew my mind. It blew my mind. This is what he said. People don't chew their food. He said people don't chew their food. And the guy was so surprised he was like, what? He said, people don't chew their food. He said, when you don't chew your food correctly, food does not digest correctly, and therefore your body does things with the food that it shouldn't do. And he said, I have proven in my clinic by not changing people's diet, but putting a little, what are those things y'all put on the piano that go, tick, 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 tick? putting a timer and telling people, you need to chew your food. I forget what he said. Every bite was like 20 times, or I forget what, it, what exactly it was, but he put this deal on there that kind of gave them a rhythm while they were eating. He said, People came to my clinic without changing their diet but chewing their food. They lost 30 pounds. Wow. 30 pounds. Now, that blew my mind. You know what I started doing? I started chewing my food. Now, meditation. Upon the word is chewing your food. Cookie, our dog, our lab. Bless her heart. You take a piece of the finest steak and hand her, she goes, (laughs) She's so anticipating the next bite, she forgets to savor the one she gets. Meditation upon the Word is you're chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing upon the Word, chewing upon the Word, so that when you swallow it, it digests correctly and does what it's supposed to do in your life. Amen? Praise God. I went three minutes over, but you give it to me anyway. Stand on your feet. Father, we bless your name. Thank you for your Word. We will be obedient to your Word in Jesus' name. Thank you for our protection, our safety as we travel, as we walk. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember... To keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.